We all know about Samuel Pepys. He was basically just some guy, a rich and well-connected one, who served as a member of parliament and secretary of the admiralty in the 17th century. But there are thousands of people all throughout history just like him who have been completely forgotten by history. What made Pepys different is that he kept a diary, an extremely detailed diary, for 10 years. And almost everything we know about Restoration England uses it as a primary source. I bring this up to underline just how little we would know without it. The hard thing about the past is always documentation. Despite all of our efforts, there are many things we simply just don't know about and will never know, especially the lives of peasants. Because who was writing about the lives of peasants? Certainly not them. If they could read and write, their diaries weren't considered important enough to keep. So most of what we know is based on records that were thought of as necessary. Census records like the Doomsday Book, art like the Bayonne Tapestry, diaries like Pepys, and of course, court documents. Which leads us to our story tonight. This is Our Sacred History, a podcast about the forgotten stories of transgender people, a part of the Totally Trans Network. I'm Katie Coleman, and tonight we're talking about Eleanor Reichener. The first time I saw a real trans woman was almost definitely on Jerry Springer or something similar. As a child watching afternoon reruns of talky, talky trash shows, trashy talk shows on E!, the allure of those women to me was something I didn't understand. Of course, at the time, I just knew I was fascinated by the idea that someone could change their gender at all. The fact that these people were submitting themselves to the worst kind of public mockery just to make ends meet didn't occur to me until years later. I once interviewed one of these women who once appeared on Springer. Apparently, it was all a hoax. She was introduced to the woman who played her girlfriend backstage and the man she supposedly left her for. Trans women were recruited for the show for a variety of different stories as a circus sideshow of the late 20th century. In a pre-OnlyFans world, a paycheck from Springer is probably a much safer alternative than other ways a girl could get paid. Unfortunately, the world in 1394 England wasn't much different. The Hundred Years' War with France had been going on for almost 60 years. It would continue for another 60, although there was a short-lived peace happening at exactly this time. The Black Death had wiped out about a third of the population a few decades ago, and people were still terrified of another resurgence. It wasn't a great time to be alive in England, and, we can imagine, that went double for a queer person. Well, so much has changed since then. Because there's not much evidence of queerness at this time, Certainly not because it didn't exist, it just wasn't documented. Something that was considered as against God as that wasn't something that ended up in diaries. Even 300 years later, Pepys mentions it a few times, but enough to know that it was commonplace, if still detestable. So, as throughout most of the rest of history, many queer people were sex workers. Becoming a sex worker is common enough for trans women now, but it's almost easier for me to count my friends who haven't done it than the ones who have. This is tied into our identity throughout history, and while of course the fetishization of trans women and the reliance on survival work can be a tragedy, there is of course nothing wrong with consensual sex work, and many people of all genders do it very well for fun and profit. In the late 14th century of England, I'm sure trans sex workers were common enough but one became famous because she happened to A, get caught, and B, confessed in a particularly unapologetic and frank way. 
Eleanor Reichener was living in England in the late 14th century. Although many scholarly articles describe her as a gay or bisexual man, there is little doubt that she was a trans woman. And the reason we know anything about this at all, and indeed much of the idea of queerness from the time, comes from a very short document discovered in 1995, The Confession of Eleanor Reichener. On December 7, 1394, a man named John Britby was in Soper's Lane in London and met with a sex worker, our girl. They negotiated a price and retired to complete the transaction, or as the court document calls it, a detestable, unmentionable, and ignominious vice, for they were unfortunately apprehended by the cops. On the 11th, they were both questioned by John Fresh, the mayor of London. This confession by Eleanor, who appeared in women's clothing and insisted on being addressed as Eleanor, despite how angry the room seemed to be about it. She worked jobs and lived her life as a woman, working what were then women's jobs. She lived with one particular man named John Clerk for six weeks and worked as a tapster at a tavern. Okay, so real quick, let's do a sidebar on tapsters, or as they were known, alewives. Brewing beer, for most of history, was traditionally done by women, and by medieval England, it was one of very few options for a woman to have any amount of independence from men. While most commerce was regulated and run by men, brewing was still done in the home primarily, and because women brewed ale for their home, brewing additional product to bring in money was seen as an extension of the womanly duties, even if it was a group of single women living together, brewing ale, and selling it for profit. After the plague in the earlier part of the 14th century, most of Europe started regulating the brewing and selling of ale, forming companies and guilds, and over the next couple of hundred years, alewives came to be vilified, used as the scapegoats in rumors of disease, the butt of jokes about corruption and trickery, sort of like used car salesmen today, and as symbols of promiscuity and vice, showing up in depictions of hell and as allies of Satan in more than one medieval morality tale. Some have said that alewives are where our modern conception of a witch comes from, but this has been widely debunked. However, with their pointy hats, brooms, and bubbling cauldrons, it's easy to see where that mistake was made, not to mention the fact that they looked cool. So, back to Eleanor. I am just continually struck with how resourceful this woman was. She also worked as an embroideress and was known as Eleanor during both of those periods. Also, she mentions that another sex worker named Anna taught her the ropes in her new profession, and that a woman named Elizabeth was the one who first dressed her as a woman. Caden Henningsen makes this important point. By discussing her relationship with Anna and Elizabeth, Eleanor indicates that she was part of a community of women who not only accepted her as a woman, but helped her live as a woman, providing her with both clothing and a name. In modern terms, we might say that Anna and Elizabeth helped Eleanor socially transition. Honestly, his paper on this is a great resource, and the only one I found written by a trans person. If you want to read a longer-form, well-thought-out-and-reasoned argument for why Eleanor should be considered a trans woman, there's a link to this in the show notes. The rest of the articles and papers about her vary from simply transphobic to completely deranged. We can chalk this up to the ignorance of the academics in some case, but are pretty enraging. I don't recommend reading too deeply on these. The whole affair ends happily, strangely enough, with the court being so confused and overwhelmed with this confession they fail to charge her with anything and release her. We have no idea what happened to her after the confession, but I like to think she disappeared into the crowd, a bit like Christiane in Eyes Without a Face, to live happily ever after. There is very little to the historic record that we have, but it is known that she worked as a sex worker pretty frequently, and slept with clergy and nobility with some frequency. She also says she slept with nuns and merchant women as well, in the male role. 
In fact, honestly, I'm just going to read the whole thing. It's easier, and I swear it's short and interesting. Here, I won't do the annoying quote filter this time. <clears throat> On 11th December 18, Richard II, so that means the, the 18th year of Richard II, it's 1894. It doesn't matter. We're brought into the presence of John Fresh, mayor, and the alderman of the city of London, John Britby of the county of York, and blank Reichener, calling herself Eleanor having been detected in women's clothing, who were found last Sunday night between the hours of eight and nine by certain officials of the city lying by a certain stall in Soper's Lane, committing that detestable, unmentionable, and ignominious vice. In a separate examination held before the mayor of Alderman about the occurrence, John Britby confessed that he was passing through the high road of Cheap on Sunday between the above-mentioned hours and accosted blank Reichener, dressed up as a woman, thinking he was a woman, asking him as he would a woman if he would commit a libidinous act with her. I'm not changing the pronouns on this, by the way. Requesting money for her labor, Reichener consented, and they went together to the aforesaid stall to complete the act and were captured there during these detestable wrongdoings by the officials and taken to prisoner. To prisoner. To prison. You know what? I'm not going to edit it. We're just going to move through. And Eleanor Reichener, brought here in women's clothing, as questioned about this matter, acknowledged herself to have done everything just as John Britby had confessed. Reichener was also asked who had taught her to exercise this vice, and for how long, and in what places, with what persons, masculine or feminine, she had committed that libidinous and unspeakable act. She swore willingly on her soul that a certain Anna, the whore of a former servant of Sir Thomas Blunt, first taught him to practice this detestable vice in the manner of a woman. She further said that a certain Elizabeth Bronderer first dressed her in women's clothing. She also brought her daughter Alice to diverse men for the sake of lust, placing her with those men in the beds at night without light, making her leave early in the morning and showing them the said Eleanor Reichener dressed up in women's clothing, calling her Eleanor and saying that they had misbehaved with her. She further said that certain Philip, rector of Thaden Garnon, Garnon, had sex with him, as with a woman, in Elizabeth Bronderer's house outside Bishopsgate, at which time Reichener took away two gowns of Philip, and when Philip requested them from Reichener, she said she was the wife of a certain man, and that if Philip wished to ask for them back, she would make her husband bring suit against him. Reichener further confessed that for five weeks before the St. Michael's last, she was staying in Oxford, and there, in women's clothing and calling herself Eleanor, worked as an embroideress, and there, in the marsh, three unsuspecting scholars, of whom one was named Sir William Foxley, another Sir John, and the third Sir Walter, practiced the abominable vice with her often. Eleanor Reichener further confessed that on Friday, before the feast of St. Michael, she came to Burford in Oxfordshire, and there dwelt with a certain John Clerk at the Swan in the capacity of Tapster for the next six weeks, during which time two Franciscans, one named Brother Michael and the other Brother John, who gave her a gold ring, and one Carmelite friar and six foreign men committed the above said vice with her, of whom one gave Reichener twelve pence, one twenty pence, and one two shillings. Reichener further, confessed that, conf Reichener further confessed that she went to Beaconsfield and there, as a man, had sex with a certain Joan, daughter of John Matthew, and also there, two foreign Franciscans had sex with him as a woman. Eleanor Reichener also confessed that after her last return to London, a certain Sir John, once chaplain at the Church of St. Margaret Patton's, two other chaplains committed with her the aforementioned vice in the lanes behind St. Catherine's Church by the Tower of London. Reichener further said that she often had sex as a man with many nuns and also had sex as an imam. Imam. It says imam, but it, it means imam. With many women, both married and otherwise, how many she did not know. 
Reichener further confessed that many priests had committed that vice with him as with a woman, how many she did not know, and said that she accommodated priests more readily than other people because they wished to give her more than others. Whew. With limited information, we can see that while she definitely presented male at some points in her life, the record that we do have shows that she preferred to be called Eleanor and present as a woman, so that barring the unlikely event of new information is the way that this podcast chooses to remember her. It's important to note that in the original transcription of the confession uses feminine pronouns and cases for her, while the translations I found from the 90s correct this, which is one of the weird things that comes up again and again on the show, the 20th century being somehow more transphobic than 600 years previous. So I'm happy to add someone to our trans ancestors who, as far as we know, lived a full life as herself. Someone who, despite all odds, carved out a life for herself in an extremely difficult time. When I thought the 1990s were hostile to trans people and couldn't imagine a life for myself in a world with the cruel jokes of daytime talk shows, Eleanor was living her full life in a place and time where it was illegal to be herself, to make money, to marry, to own, to work, to live. So I'm continually inspired by her. And that's not a small part of our sacred history. Thanks for listening. I'm Katie Coleman. As always, I've included a list of sources in the show notes, but they're not formatted in any particular style because I'm not in college anymore and I'm tired. If you want to reach out to me for any reason, you can find me on Twitter at Katie of the Lake or email us at totallytransha at gmail.com. And until next time, remember, we've always been here and we always will be. So, hey, welcome to the off season. We've got more content than ever this time, and I hope you've been listening. On Monday, Henry is back with another mini-sode, and on Wednesday, Ada Rhodes has another great interview with a trans athlete on MVT. Jack has something cooking in the next couple of weeks, too, but I can't talk about it yet. If you'd like to support us, you can find us on patreon.com slash totallytrans, and you can find our rad shirts and tote bags and coffee mugs and stuff on TeePublic and Redbubble. And more designs are coming soon, I promise. Also, it's super helpful to get ratings and reviews on iTunes or whatever podcast app you're listening to that does reviews and ratings. Uh, It does affect how highly we'll show up on lists and such. Okay, be safe. I'll see you next week.